Amen. I want to not spend a very long time tonight. That's a good place to shout amen. Nobody wants to get out early. I'm going to get you out of here before Waffle House closes, I promise. Um, I was thinking today about um, Jesus in that boat again. And, you know, then we have a, a, another scenario. Uh, last night he came under them walking on the water. Tonight it's a whole different ball game. Um, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Mark chapter number 4. And picking up at verse number 33, and while you're turning there, let me just catch you up on where we're at. Jesus has been teaching all day long. Uh, he has been teaching to the crowd. He has, he has been preaching the big sermon. Um, if you've never stood behind a pulpit before, let me tell you what it's like. Um, normally, there's, and there's always different, there's different scenarios when I get behind a pulpit, but, but normally, think of the, one of the first times your pastor ever heard me preach was when I was preaching camp meeting and I was soaking wet. And you can literally get my t-shirt off and wring sweat out of it. And, and when you do that, they have said that one hour of preaching like that is equivalent to eight hours of a hard day of the construction business. So that lets you know how tired and exhausting uh, preaching is. Um, and when I read this text, uh, Jesus preached far more than an hour. Okay, he was preaching the big sermon, and then he takes his disciples aside. And he gives them a private word. Uh, because as a pastor, there are things that we'll say to the congregation, but we will be more intimate with our counsel. So Jesus is preaching to multiplied thousands of people, giving everything he's got into it. And then we say it like this, the anointing lifted off of him. Because he was 100% man, although he was 100% God. And he brings his disciples to the side and he gives them a private, intimate word. He says in our text in Mark chapter 4 and verse 33, he said, With many such parables he was speaking the word to them. So far as they were able to hear it, and he did not speak to them without a parable. But he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Now beginning in verse number 35, he tells his disciples this. He says, I want you again to get on the boat and let us go to the other side. Look at verse 35. They've got it up on the screen for you, so if you didn't bring your Bible, you lucked out tonight. All right? It said, let us pass over. We're going to get back to that word us here in just a minute. But leaving the crowd, they took along with them in the boat just as he was, as the other boats were with him. 
So I want you to get this straight on the journey as we begin tonight. The disciples were smack dab in the middle of the will of God. Well, I've got one amen. I'll just bring the table right here and we'll just talk tonight. Is that okay? How many of us, hold on a minute, until they start talking back, I'm just going to talk to you. How many times do we ever get in a storm and we question, what did I do? Mm -hmm. The disciples are on the boat. They're smack dab in the will of God. And Jesus says, get on the boat. They got in the boat. And after the storm, they're still in the will of God. And they get on this boat and all of a sudden... There comes a problem. They're doing exactly what the Lord told them to do. They get in the boat. I, 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 I told you last night I draw pictures in my mind when I read the Bible. And I can see them on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Probably not a cloud in the sky. Jesus has just preached a dynamic message. His robe is probably soaking wet. He's probably tired. He gets his disciples. Not a cloud in the sky. I could probably see some butterflies flying around. The birds are singing. And everything is just beautiful. He tells his disciples, Okay, boys, let's, let us, that means I'm getting in this time. Last night he got on top of a mountain and put them in the boat and left. But this time he says, Come on, boys, we're going to get in the boat. And we're going to pass over to the other side. Everything is beautiful. It's that it's that perfect it's that perfect weekend weather. 85 degrees, no humidity, there's a cool wind blowing and you're out on the lake on Saturday because God forbid you don't miss church on Sunday to go to the lake. So, so you get all your honeydews done early on Friday night or early Saturday morning and you and you and you Cast off your boat on, at the lake on Saturday and you're hoping for beautiful weather. The water's not too troubled. It's real smooth. And I, I could just see the Sea of Galilee like that. And Jesus is tired and he's like, I'm going to go down to the bay of the boat and I'm going to take me a nap. Uh, that's what I do after we get done on Sundays and I can, I can get out of lunch as fast as I can. I usually go straight to the room and go to bed and sleep for a couple of hours to try to get my energy back. And, and they got on the boat and, and here they are with, with the Lord in the will of God and then arises a problem. This problem is described actually in verse number 37. Your Bible says that there arose a great storm of wind. And the waves were breaking. Your Bible in King James says the waves beat into the ship. But another translation says that the waves were breaking over the boat. So in other words, the boat was filling up with water. Now, I began to look at this and the, and the phrase great storm of wind in the actual Greek uh, it comes up with a word called lilops. Uh, a lilops is a hurricane type storm uh, coming out of nowhere in the Sea of Galilee. So this ought to clarify as we tried to do all along that storm.
of themselves do not tell you whether or not you are in the will of God. That needs to help somebody. Because I've talked to too many church people who have this idea because of what they've been told that because you're going through a storm that there's some sickness or some sin in your life. There's some disobedience in your life. And now we've got this generation who thinks just because I'm going through something there must be something that I'm out of the will of God. And I want to tell you tonight that is not true. What tells you whether or not you're in God's will is, is did you do what God told you to do? Come on, preach it. But whether, whether, did you do it or whether you didn't do it, you can still be in a lilops. That's a hurricane type situation. The other thing that you need to know about lilops tonight is that it is merciless. That is, it will come down on you quick, fast, and in a hurry, and it seeks to consume you. It is going to do everything that it can in its possible hurricane-style power to take you out. That's what storms do. The boat was filling up. The wind was blowing at such speed that it threatened to take them under. Uh, has anybody ever been in a situation in your life where it looked like that if something did not happen real quick, that it was going to take you under? That it was going to drown you? That it was going to overwhelm you? A storm is... It, this kind of trial is an unexpected circumstance that invades your life. It threatens your very existence. I'll be honest, I'm not talking tonight about a headache. I'm not talking about a toothache. I'm talking about a situation that you know that my life is on the line. When I say this is a matter of life and death, uh, I'm talking about this is a storm that if something doesn't happen, I'm not going to get out of this thing. A storm, however, is also designed uh, to increase your faith. If you don't go through a storm and it increases your faith, uh, the, only, the only other option God's got is to crank it up a little bit harder. Some of us need to learn. Some of us need to learn during a, a rainstorm and not have to go through a hurricane. Yes. I just said something right there. I mean, I want to get to the place, Pastor, where I learn on that little drizzle. Uh huh. I, I want to learn when it when it starts darkening up. Okay, I'm getting ready to go through it. Here we go. Buckle up. But here they went through a hurricane-type storm. So here is the crisis. They're in a crisis. And in this tonight, this crisis was threefold. And I'm going to hit them uh, quickly. Uh, not too quickly because I want to make sure that we feel like we've been in church. But quick enough that I don't keep you here all night long. Uh, there's, actually, <laughs> there's actually three storms that are occurring here. And I'm going to walk you through them. First of all, there is a circumstantial storm. That's the lilops. 
a circumstantial storm. Uh, and let me say one more thing about a circumstantial storm, and that is, is it was a storm in which they could exercise no control. You, you understand you, you have no control over the wind. Uh, you have no control over the sea. You cannot control the rain. You can't control the spinning of the turmoil. You can't control waves billowing up and going. You can't control that. Every bit of that is out of your control. So you can be in the will of God and in a storm and be able to do absolutely nothing about it because you cannot control a lilac. Can't do it. It's circumstances that that produces a helpless and and sometimes the feeling of a hopeless scenario. So that's storm number one. That leads to storm number two. Now you're probably thinking, man, if that was number one and you only have three of these, we're going to be out in about ten minutes. Uh, don't count on it. Um, storm number two is is they were terrified. We know that they were terrified because Jesus is going to say to them later on in verse number 40, He's going to say to them later on, why are you afraid? So now we not only have a storm of circumstance, we now have a storm of emotion. Because now their emotions have now riveted up. How many of you have been in a storm in your life where your emotions got out of whack? Uh, two of us. Uh, let me let me let me just testify right here. I I can tell you of some storms in my life where I didn't feel like getting out of the bed in the morning. I've been in some storms in my life that I said, Lord, if this is what ministry's like, I don't want any part of it. Well, I'm just I'm just talking to a lot of folk tonight. Have no idea what I'm talking about. They're just looking at me like a cow staring at a new gate. Like, why in the world would you ever think that? Well, let me just tell you something, and I'm probably going to say this again, but if you've never been in the lilops in your life, just keep living. Because one of three things is going to happen. Either you just got out of one, you're in one, <laughs> or you about to run headlong into one. But somehow or another, you're going to be thankful they recorded this tonight because you're going to need this later on in your life if you, hadn't, if you don't have a clue what I'm talking about yet. So they're in this storm of circumstance of which they have no control. Now, now they're having this storm of emotion. They're, I mean, they are out of their mind. All right? uh, I, I, think that, I think that Sunday school, Sunday school was always a great thing. I learned a lot from Sunday school, but I'm going to be honest with you. Can I just be real tonight? This may hurt some people's feelings, but it's okay. It ain't the first time I've ever hurt anybody's feelings. But I think that Sunday school's really just messed up a lot of people. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when I was in Sunday school and I heard about this story, you know, I thought about, you know, Sister Dover, she was telling me about the storm. And, and I was just thinking about maybe, you know, there was some thunder and lightning. And the disciples were like just getting their ponchos and an umbrella. And I was like, oh, it's a storm, it's a storm. Oh, no. Uh, no. They were out of their wits end. I mean... If I can say this behind this table, they were freaking out. I mean, they were like, oh my God. No, like literally, he's right there and he's doing nothing about it. 
I mean, they're going absolutely crazy. And, and, and how many of us, we may not be in the middle of a boat in a storm, but how many of us, we get scared sometimes at the doctor's report? We get, we freak out over the financial report. When we get the statement in the mail and we think that it's supposed to be one thing and it's the other, uh, how many we get scared about the relational direction? We just get scared. We are in panic mode. But whatever it is that you cannot control, that is causing you to your emotions to become uprooted. That is your lilacs. That is your hurricane in which you are now living. Because this lilops is so big. This thing is so deep and so devastating that you can't do anything to control it. You can't do anything to fix it. You can't do anything to heal it. You can't do anything to put it back together. So, so the first storm are the circumstances of their, that is out of their control. The second storm is their emotional instability because of the uncontrollable circumstance. Uh, you do see how these two things relate. You see, I, I'm going through a storm. I've got a situation, and because I can't control it, now I'm in panic mode. See, I, I, I try to be... You see, there's some preachers who they say they're relevant. That means they wear blue jeans, flip-flops, and T-shirts and try to dress like and be cool. I try to be relevant which means that I'm trying to preach where you're living. You see, there's a difference between the two. I'm not trying to be cool. I'm just trying to tell you where you're at. Because there's times in my life where, okay, I'm in a storm, but I think that if I, there's the problem right there, if I can fix it, it's going to be okay. Uh-huh. I've got this huge debt in front of me and, and if I can do this and if I can do that and if I can put all of this together then I can fix this. But the problem occurs when I'm in this storm and I can't do anything about it. Now my emotions start acting crazy that says now I'm going to lose everything I've got because I can't fix this. Because I, I want you to get this, that's because this is what we say, whether or not we want to admit it. Because I can't fix it, I'm going to lose it. So I'm in this emotional storm. And then I want to talk about a third one, and this is where I'm going to really start hammering it down right here. I'm going to, because we're in, because, because I'm in church, and because this is revival, and because I am an IPHC pastor, I'm going to be real spiritual. You ready for this? I'm going to call this a theological storm. Because not only was the circumstance out of their control, and now their emotions are responding to the circumstance, now they're having a theological or a spiritual storm because the Bible goes on to say, this is what it says, that they woke up Jesus. 
And they said to him in verse number 38, they said to him, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? What your Bible says. So that is a spiritual storm. Because their emotions or their circumstances were out of control. Their emotions have gone crazy. So what I heard about you, Lord, and what I'm experiencing with you right now, Lord, does not match. Amen. I mean, it ruins a lot, it ruins a lot of worship songs. I mean, let's just be real with it. I mean, y'all were singing, y'all were, y'all were bringing down the house, and I was thinking to myself while they were singing, I was like, you know what would be good? What if I could just, just get the pastor to load up the whole team in their new van and drive it right back down to South Carolina, and we'd just have a big old joint service together, and, and we'd have 150 strong, and, and man, the band could just go out there and blow it up and just talk about how great God is and how loving Jesus is, and He's always there at your rescue, and how, oh, God, we worship You. And then I stand right behind the pulpit, and I say right in the middle of the storm, Jesus could care less. Why don't y'all write a song about that and sing that one tomorrow night? <laughs> I mean, these disciples, I, I, I'm putting myself in this boat now. I'm one of the twelve. All right, I'm one of the twelve. I just heard Jesus preach a powerful message in front of all the thousands. Because I'll be honest with you, it's easy to perform when you got the crowd. When, you're, when I'm preaching camp meeting and you got the lights and the camera and the people behind you shouting amen, oh boy, it's easy to get into it. But when I'm on the boat and I'm starting to panic and the very one that I've been preaching about who comes, to, who rescues me, I turn around and he could care less because he's sleeping. That don't match what I've been preaching. That don't match the Jesus that I need. I, and, and be honest with you, as a disciple in this boat, I'm wondering if this thing's really real. I mean, if I'm Peter, I'm wondering, okay, now did I really give up the family fishing business to follow this guy around so the first time I get in a storm, he's going to sleep through it and let me drown? At least if I was in charge, I'd have enough sense to dock this boat on the shore and get off. Well, just sit there and stare at me. That's what I would do. Maybe you wouldn't either. I'm the only one. I, if I was in charge, I'd have docked the boat. But I know we, we read the Bible like, it's a, like a little Mother Goose story. And we think, oh, they just kept rowing for Jesus. Oh, no, they were out of their minds. If we were to tell the truth, if we were to tell the truth tonight and shame the devil, there have been times... Whether or not we want to raise our hands and admit it, that we have raised the question like Martha and Mary, where were you when I needed you? Mm -hmm. Because if you would have been here, it wouldn't have been this painful. 
It wouldn't, it wouldn't take this long, Lord, if you would have been here and showed up. And, it, and I wouldn't be hurting as bad as I am if you would have been here when I called you. So Jesus, do you really care? Or is this just some theological nonsense that I was just raised to believe as a young boy? I'm being real with you. So I'm going to go a little bit deeper because this is what your Bible says in verse number 38. Your Bible says that Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on a pillow. I don't know about y'all, but that's when I'm snapping my fingers. And I'm saying, oh no, you didn't, Jesus. I cannot believe I'm in a storm and you're down here snoring. I'm in a storm and you're all cuddled up with a pillow and a cushion with a blanket on top of you sleeping. What good is a Savior who sleeps when you're in a storm? So not only is Jesus asleep, He's asleep on purpose. That makes it even worse. He is asleep on in the middle of a storm. So now, I've got another problem. Because now he's sleeping on me. And what makes it worse is he's in the same storm that I'm in. Because he's on the same boat that I'm on. You see, this ain't the, this ain't the other story when... When the storm arose and the disciples were on the boat and Jesus just comes out here waltzing on the water. Oh no, this ain't this one. This is the other time when they're in the boat and he's down here at the bottom. He's, he's sawing logs. They're panicking. He's asleep in a storm and the only way that he's going to get up is I got to wake him up. They had to go shake him up, holler, scream. Jesus, wake up! If they woke him up, that means he was doing some serious sleeping. Because if you're in a storm, there's been times I've been on a cruise, and, and there's been times I kind of like dozed off, you know, and we'd hit some kind of little little weather, and, and you would think that everything's just smooth on a boat, but sometimes it'll rock your world a little bit. And when it rocks, I'd wake up. So that let me know if they had to go wake him up, he wasn't just uh, dozed off. He was out. He, this was no power nap. He was gone for the night. This storm is messing everybody up but him, and he is sound asleep. And I began to think about that, and I wonder, does Jesus really care about my pain? Does he really care about my finances? Does he really care about my loneliness, my hurt, my depression? Does he really care? When I feel like that I'm all by myself and I'm crying myself to sleep and I can't talk to anybody about it, does he really care? Because I know that I'm in his will and I'm feeling all this. And so they wake Jesus up, and verse number 39 says this, Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and says to the sea, 
Hush your fuss. Hush, just shh, shh, be still. Now, I want you to notice here in this text, I want to bring this out to you just for a second. I want you to notice who Jesus is talking to. Because they wake him up. He doesn't even say good morning to the disciples. He doesn't even say what's the problem to the disciples. He doesn't even say can you, can you brew me some coffee to the disciples. He doesn't even say anything to them. He gets up out of his sleep and the first thing that he says, he begins to talk to the circumstance. Yes, that's what your Bible says. Your Bible says, and he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. So here he's talking to the circumstance. The circumstance in this story is the wind and the sea. It's the storm. It's, it's the lilops. He doesn't speak to the disciples. He speaks to the situation. But when he does speak to the situation, after they wake him up, things begin to change. Uh-huh. When they wake him up, he, he speaks to the circumstances that was causing the crisis. So I feel like helping somebody in here tonight and telling you, don't ever let it be said that your crisis continues because you never took the time to wake up the Savior. Well, he's not on a literal boat anymore. We can't go and literally shake him by his shoulders and get him up. But there is a way that we can talk to him. And that is through the facet of prayer. So what I'm saying is tonight, don't ever let it be said that you continue to be in your circumstance because you are the one trying to fix it. And you, through prayer, do not wake up the Master. Sometimes we've got to fall down on our face before God and begin like what grandmama used to say, grab hold of the horns of the altar and begin to shake them like we're shaking the shoulders of Jesus and say, Master, wake up. I'm in a lilops. There's a hurricane trying to take me out and I will not survive if you do not intervene. That I want you to get the understanding tonight. In other words, if you're not praying about it, I don't really think you're too concerned about it. That getting his attention to it was so important. But nowadays, we don't pray about it. We'll wake up our friends and talk about it. We'll, we'll log on to whichever social media platform that we, that we value and we'll, we'll log on to that and put that on the platform. We'll, we'll, we'll wake people up that may have a little power, may have a little pull. People who we think can change our situations and a lot of times we wake the wrong people up because we don't wake up the Savior and so Jesus now turns to his disciples after he has calmed the winds and the waves and the sea, everything's chilled back out. 
And Jesus finally turns back to his disciples. That's me and you, unfortunately, because this is what he says in verse number 40. He said, how is it that you have, you ready for this, no faith? Now last night we, we, we kind of we jumped on Peter a little bit for jumping out of the boat. And Jesus says to him, O ye of little faith. But this time he looks at his disciples and says, How is it that you have no faith? I mean, let's give Peter a little bit of props. At least he had a little faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be honest with you. When I read that in the context of this story, how is it that you have no faith? I have a little concern with that. I got a little problem. I had a little beef with the Lord on that one. I, I, I was because I, I, I told you I, I put myself in this situation, and, and I got I got issues with Him asking me that because because that makes absolutely no sense to me. None. I mean, they they woke up Jesus. The boat is filling up with water. They're in a hurricane, in a Category Four hurricane. They don't even know whether or not they're going to live, if they're going to die. And Jesus is going to ask them a question like that? Why are you afraid? And why do you have no faith? Well, here's my response to that. I'd be like, well, <laughs> I don't know, Jesus. Maybe it's because uh, we're getting ready to die. Well, that takes me back to verse number 35 because in verse number 35, Jesus says these words to him. He said, let us pass over to the other side. Not, he didn't say, he didn't say, boys, I'm going to go to the other side. He said, let us pass to the other side. He, in other words, he's saying, now I just preached to 15,000 people and you were shouting and bucking and hooping and hollering. If it would have been after Acts chapter number 2, I would have thrown in, we were talking in tongues. We were having Pentecostal hoedown. You were excited after that service to jump on the boat because there wasn't a cloud in the sky. The butterflies were flying. The birds were singing. Everything looked good. And in light of the problem, you hop in the boat because you had a word. You just missed a good place to shout right there. You got in the boat because you had a word on it. You just got out of church with Jesus and Jesus said, Boys, let's go, hallelujah, to the other side. And you said, yes, sir, I want to jump in the boat with Jesus. We're going to go, hallelujah, and I could just shout right there to the other side. And Jesus says, you got it, boys. I'm going to come down here and take me a nap. And while you're shouting, all of a sudden the clouds turn dark. Now you're not shouting no more. Now you're panicking. Now you're wondering, God, are you really a Savior? God, are you really my healer? God, are you really my deliverer? You see, he said you got excited at first when you got on the boat with me. 
But when the circumstances showed up, they overrode what I said. I'm gonna be. I'm just being real with you tonight. I know I'm not. I know I'm not sweating yet. But how many of us are guilty of getting excited about a word and then letting the circumstance override the promise of God? Well, let me tell you something about that. When you start living in light of the problem and no longer living in light of the promise, the problem will always dominate you. And it will totally erase the fact that He ever made a promise to you in the first place. And I'm trying to strengthen some of your faith tonight to let you know that God does not want you to live in your circumstances. Now, now you can't deny them. I'm not saying that, that we're not gonna that we're not gonna act as if we're not we're not having circumstances. I mean, a storm is a storm. I mean, whenever the doctor looks at you and says that you've got stage four cancer and you've got about three months to live, I can't act like that I didn't just hear that. Come on. I mean, I, I, I don't... I mean, I know there's some, there's some granola Christians out there. You know what granola Christians are, right? Fruit, nuts, and flakes. All right? There, there's some granolas out there that... That the doctor will tell them that you've got, you've got this and this is how long you've got to live. And they'll walk out and say, oh, it's a sunshiny day. No, it's not. You're going through a storm. And you cannot deny the fact that you're going through a storm. Because a storm is reality. But this is what I want you to get. He wants to make sure that your circumstance never trumps His word. Mm-hmm. Not only does he want your circumstance to not trump his word, he doesn't want your circumstance to trump his presence. Because sleeping or not, he was on the boat too. You see, he, he said, he said, you're doing exactly what I told you to do because, because the next level that I'm trying to take you to, I will appear to be asleep. So you won't hear anything from heaven. You're not going to hear the birds singing. You're not going to see the the sun shining all the time because if everything was a sunny day, you wouldn't need faith. And I'm going to be honest with you. I might get in trouble for this, but I could care less. I'm getting so sick and tired of TV preachers who want to come in on, on television and tell me that if you have great faith, you'll never go through anything. You'll never have a problem. You'll never have a sickness. All your kids will be healthy. Everything will be right as long as you just (laughs) write that big check to me. And you have faith. None of that stuff will happen. And I just want to go up there and just tap on the TV screen and poke at their forehead and say, hold on a minute. If I don't go through anything, how will I know that I have great faith? So to get to this next level in Him... You're going to have to go through some circumstances and let him sleep. Because now you're at the place where, you know what, Lord, I may not be hearing from you right now, but I know what you told me. 
And if I can just go by the promise that we're going to go through the other side, there's not a devil in hell. There's not a storm in my life. They may come in and try to stop me, but they will not win because I've got a word on it. And if he said you're going to make it to the other side, you can take it to the bank. You will make it to the other side. Somebody shout in this house if you believe it. All right, let me get back down here. So, so he spoke. He told the winds. He said, chill. He turned over to the sea and said, shut your mouth. And when Jesus spoke to the circumstance, the circumstances changed. So the issue is a lilops it's not your ability to change the circumstance. The issue is in the lilops is your communication with Jesus Amen. so that He can speak to the circumstance because obviously the lilops is out of my control. So the issue is Jesus speaking to it. The problem was not them waking Jesus up. That wasn't a problem of faithlessness. That was a good thing. Because he responded to them when he woke up. The problem was the faithlessness that woke him up. Come on. <laughs> I told you Sunday morning we was going to dig deep in this thing this week. You see, the problem wasn't, I'm going to pretend he's Jesus I said, pretend. He. The problem wasn't that I woke him up. That wasn't the problem. That wasn't the problem. The problem was the why I woke him up. You see, he needed to be awakened so he could speak to the circumstance. But the reason that I woke him up was because I was scared because I could not handle it. So the, the problem was the faithlessness that woke him up. And so Jesus speaks to the problem. And when he speaks to the problem, there is a circumstantial change. And then it leads to a conclusion, and I'm almost done, maybe. It leads us to a conclusion, and this is, this is worth preaching on right here because, oh, what a conclusion that it is. Verse number 41. Your Bible says that they became... King James says, and they feared exceedingly. Let me give you a more accurate translation on that. You ready? They became very much afraid. They were out of their minds. You think the storm was bad? They weren't nearly as scared of the storm as they were when the storm was over. Hmm. Verse number 40, 41 said that, that they were very much afraid. They were now really, literally, I mean, about to go bonkers. They were about to go bananas. Because when they were in a lilops, they were afraid. 
But when they saw who they were dealing with, they became very much afraid. In other words, they were afraid originally of the wrong thing. You see, I told you when we first began about this whole thing that we could be scared of the doctor's report. We're scared of what the banker may say, what the lawyer may say, what the boss may say. We're scared of all these these storms that we're going through. And this scripture and this story tells us, as I'm a disciple, that I've been worrying about the wrong thing. It's not the financial storm that I need to worry about. It's the one who spoke to the storm that fixed it. That's who I need to be afraid of. You see, we let our circumstances scare us. He says, he says to them, basically, he says, when you know who you're dealing with, you'll be, a less, you'll be less afraid of that circumstance and more scared of me. Because look here, if I could look at a storm and tell the storm, peace be still, imagine what I could do to you if you ever ticked me off. I mean, if he ever wanted to, he could shut you down quick, fast, and in a hurry. And if you're going to be scared, then your fear ought to be, he says, towards who I am and not the circumstances that you're in. Because once I get up, all I got to do is talk to it. And if he can simply talk to a situation and it changes. I wonder, has anybody in here, if you could testify... That you've ever seen God talk to a situation in your life. It was out of your control. Nobody, nobody you knew could help you. Nobody that you called on could help you. You didn't have the money to buy your way out of it. But yet you prayed. God woke up and He said something to your situation. And when He cleared His throat and spoke what He thought, it became what He said because there is power in the Word of Almighty God. Heaven spoke to it. Out of nowhere. And things changed. I've heard testimony after testimony. People in financial problems. Distressed. Not knowing how in the wide world anything would happen. And they began to pray. They, they, they First of all they began to look and say. Okay if we go to the bank and, and we get a loan. We can do this. We can do that. But before we sign our name on the dotted line. Let's pray about it. And they begin to pray. And they go to the mailbox. And out of nowhere there's a check for more than what they needed. Why? more than because he is El Shaddai which means he's the God of more than enough. Why would a God why would a God whose name is more than enough stop at just enough? So heaven began to speak and out of nowhere things begin to change. So it's more important by faith to get Jesus dealing with your circumstances than you living in fear. 
So I want to tell you, don't be scared of the wrong thing. And they ask a question. Because now, they're out of their minds. I mean, they are in panic mode. Your King James, I love King James, it says they feared exceedingly. Like we really talk like that. They were scared out of their mind. I mean, if I was one of them, I'd be looking behind my shoulder, just make sure I see Jesus, making sure he don't come up behind me and, 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 and poof. You know, I'm, I'm watching. I'm watching him because now I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of him. I'm, I'm scared of him. And, and then they ask a question because they're scared of him. They say to him, they said, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the seas obey him. I mean, we just got out of church with a guy. And obviously, I don't know him like I thought I know him. I mean, I saw him break bread. I saw him break fish and, and multiply it. Because he did that two times, by the way. He did it for 5,000 men in one story. 4,000 in another story. So they have seen some miracles. They have seen him. Do all kinds of stuff. They saw him turn water into wine. They saw him as he, he came behind a, a funeral procession with the woman of Nain just touched the casket and the little boy's eyes pop open and he jumps out of the casket and beats the pallbearers back to the living room. He, they have seen some miracles. But now he starts talking to nature. And they're panicked. And they said, man, I've, I've been hanging out with this guy. And I thought we was close. I thought we was tight. I thought he was my boy. But what manner of man is this? Obviously, I don't know him like I thought I did. And some of you are in a situation where God wants you to know exactly who it is that you're dealing with. You see, they had seen some things about Jesus, but Jesus is telling them, you don't even know half of what I can do. Come on. That makes me excited. I mean, when I think about Jesus not, not even letting me know half of what He can do, that excites me. Because when I see myself going through a storm, because of what I do know about Jesus, uh, if not the half has yet been told, uh, my God, the other half do if what I, what I saw him do was already miraculous how much more power does he have that he can look at your circumstance and look at your situation and look at your problem and look at your dilemma and say with one word I'll change it for your good my God I feel like preaching in here tonight he said that you don't boys you don't even understand who you're dealing with right now so let me, let me show you a little something, something. He changes the circumstances. Bam! Overnight. He tells them, boys, your faith is not where it needs to be. And they said, who in the world is this guy? See, because too many of us, I'm going to be honest with you, in the church world, we've still got him in a manger. We got little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay.
I swear we've got them. Too many of us, we don't know really who it is we're dealing with. I mean, let me just talk about the humanity of Jesus just for a minute. He, he's tired. He, he's he's got to go to sleep because he's human. He gets up out of his sleep and he puts the lilacs to sleep because he's God. I mean, you, because he's God and because he's human, he's 100% God, 100% man. And I want you to understand this. In, the, in, in theology class, if you go to Bible school, they'll, they'll tell you this is what they call a hypostatic union. That's a big word that basically tells you that, that, that there's two natures, God and man, in one person unmixed forever. So this man called Jesus that we worship is both man and God. He was as much man as I am. But he was as much God as I'll never be. You see, one moment, one moment, he's dying on a cross. Another moment, he's out there raising people from the dead. 100% man, 100% God. Now, your Bible doesn't say this, but I'm sure it was Peter who probably said that, asked that question, because Peter is notorious for having to wear peppermint socks as much as he liked to keep his foot in his mouth. <clears throat> so he, you'll use that one, won't you? I don't know. I might. <laughs> For I, but they said, what, 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 what manner of man, what, what star did you step out from behind? What manner of man is this? And I will show you in Hebrews chapter 4 what kind of manner of man he is. Your Bible says and we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our pain. How in the world can he sympathize with my pain? He says because I'm human. So I can feel what you feel the same way you feel it. But I'm divine, which tells me that not only can he feel my pain, he can do something about it. Because when you deal with the God-man, you're dealing with somebody who cries when you cry. Who hurts when you hurt. But says, just watch this. And he steps out in the middle of your storm and speaks a word and changes it. That's the difference between us and him. When somebody comes to me and they're hurting, I can sympathize with that pain. I hurt. 
But I can't do stuff about it. But we serve a God that can. God says, because I'm a man, I know how you feel. But because I'm God, I'm going to change it. He says, what manner of man is this that even the circumstances that nature obeys him? Well, if you have a lilops, that lilops has to bow down to the word of the master. <laughs> And I think this is a good time to parenthetically insert this that I said earlier when I started and they were just sitting there staring at me about this lilops that either you just got out of one, you're in one, or you're about to rush headlong into one. But God wants to take us to a place of understanding in Him that you have, what, in a place that you've never seen Him before. He wants to show you exactly who He is. And, and I'm going to start my descent right here. I get three of these closings, and this is my first one. Kim and I were, were on a cruise a couple years back. And the captain comes over the, the speakers, and he tells us about this storm that we're heading into. And he told us there was no way we were going to be able to cruise around it. We were going to have to go straight through it, and it was going to be rough. Uh, and because of this storm, they were going to change the duration of the storm and, or, or change the duration of the cruise. And so it may be longer than you expect it to be. So if you, if you had to go back to work on Monday and you thought you was getting off this boat on Saturday, you might want to call your boss because this is going to take a while. But they said this is going to be a hot, heavy storm. Passengers were, I mean, upset. They were ticked off. They were cussing. I mean, they were going nuts. The, the, the line to the customer service area was wrapped, it looked like, around the entire boat. It was absolutely insane. And finally, one of the assistant captains came out and he said to us, he said, ladies and gentlemen, we know this is a bad situation, but I need to tell you something. And that is that this boat was built with this storm in mind. He said, when we were on dry dock and we were putting this boat together, we knew that one day we were going to hit a storm like this. So that was all calculated in the building of this boat. So even though the next few days is going to be quite uncomfortable, everybody is going to be fine because before we ever left, it had already been established that we would be able to handle a day like we're about to hit. Well, let me explain something. This is number two right here. I'm closing. Jesus told them, let us go to the other side. That was on dry dock. Jesus had been teaching 
he goes to dry dock with the disciples. And he said, boys, before we ever leave, I'm going to tell you where we're going to wind up. <laughs> we're going to get to where we're supposed to go. Now, there might be some rough sailing, and it might get bumpy. A few of you, little sissies, might get a little seasick. But hunker down, boys. We're going to make it to the other side. Because the Savior has built our salvation. Hmm. With this struggle in mind. He's not forgotten you. He's not forgotten your struggle. He hasn't forgotten your pain. He has not forgotten your purpose. And He knows how to get you from point A to point Z. Now if I stopped right there and just told you that, that would not be doing you a justice. So let me just tell you something else. Sometimes he may have to put you to point B, twist you around to get to F, <laughs> pull you back around to get to Q, and you don't like it, but trust his word. Because when the storm's over, you'll be at point Z. Exactly where he said you'd be. Amen. I'm going to finish with this. In a few short months, we're getting ready to go into September. So in about two or three months from now, come Thanksgiving time, I'm looking at some of y'all couple of y'all, you're going to be cooking a turkey. These young girls are probably like, uh, no, I'm going to fix a sandwich before I cook a turkey. So I'm looking at the back row. And if I was the one cooking the turkey, I'd have a timer. And the timer would go off. And I would tell everybody that lunch or dinner's ready and I'd set that turkey on the table because it's ready to be eaten. The timer would go off and we'd pull that turkey out and that turkey would be crispy brown and we'd have we'd be ready to carve it because the dinger and the timer said it's ready. But I can take you a state over into Oklahoma where my in-laws are at. And I've got a brother-in-law there who's a game warden. But man, he is one fine cook. He is a serious cook. And he's, he's going to cook a turkey. And when the timer tells him that it's ready, instead of just taking that turkey out and putting it on the table and we go to, go to town eating, he's going to take one of those long forks with those two prongs and he's going to stick it inside because he ain't going to buy it just because the dinger went off. 
He, he ain't going to buy it just because uh, the outside looks like it's ready. Old Joe, he's going to go a little bit deeper than that. He's going to find out whether it looks on the inside the way it looks on the outside. He's going to find out whether or not it's as real on the inside as it is on the outside. He's going to find out. Now, since most of the majority of people in here is on the praise team, uh, let me get real with you. He's going to find out if you're just strumming on Sunday morning or if you're really in this thing. Because what he's going to do is, because it's easy to, to, to sing during revival, and it's easy to worship during Sunday morning service, but what he's looking for, he's going to stick a fork in some of you, and he's going to see if it's ready or not. And if it's not quite ready, and the dinger went off before it should have went off, he's going to put you back in the oven. And he's going to reset the timer for a little bit longer until that turkey really gets ready. Because a real cook is not satisfied because it looks good on the outside. They want to know that it's ready on the inside. Now I'm going to be real with you. It's Monday night. We've got one more night to go. You stand right here looking at Revival crowd. And I look at every one of you. I've been, I've been eyeballing every one of you. Some of you look like you want to go to sleep on me. So I'm going to have to crank it up a little bit more tomorrow. Everybody in here looks like you're ready. If you stand right here and you look at you look at the pastor and you look at the singers and you look at the people who was here listening to the singers and... Looking in the sound room. I look out and I look at everybody that's in here and you look done. Everybody in here spiritually looks like that you're ready to go out and face the storm. But God's going to let you leave a Monday night revival service. And He's going to stick a little fork in there. Because He wants to find out. Was that just a revival look? Was that just a, a Monday night revival service, amen? Or are you really ready? Are we just in here on a Monday night having service because we just scheduled a revival? Or are we letting God cook us until we're done? So I want, I want all of us to stand just for a moment. I, I, I've, since I've started pastoring, I, I don't put musicians and singers on the spot so you can y'all can thank me for that later I do. <laughs> i'm a guest so i don't 
but there's there there's a there's a song there's a song that I grew up singing, and if you don't know it, it's easy, and you can just hear me singing a time or so, and then you can catch on to it. But it simply says, "If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me." But you gotta be cooked first. You can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, Lord, and my feet. Take my mouth, Lord, speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Now, if you don't know that, you can just pray it. But I want us just to... Close our eyes and throw our hands up to heaven and just make that our prayer tonight as He puts us in the oven. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, Lord, and my feet. Take my mouth, Lord, speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, Lord, and my feet. Take my mouth, Lord, speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Let's say that one more time. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, Lord, and my feet. Take my mouth, Lord, and speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me.